Welcome to the Red Hand Podcast, the most listened to Ulster Rugby Podcast. The Red Hand is independent, made by fans, for fans. Next level Ulster Rugby content featuring unrivaled insight, unfiltered opinion, powerful stories and accessible analysis. If you're a business who would like to advertise to thousands of rugby fans across the province and beyond, please get in touch via Instagram at theredhand.co or email peter at theredhand.co. Don't forget to follow us on socials and join in the discussion. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, please sign up to The Red Hand on Patreon. Also, please like and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and tell your friends. Put the link to the podcast in some of your group chats. Thanks for your support, and we hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. Dan McFarland's men started like a steam train, but soon ran out of track as Glasgow battled their way back into the game and won 33-20. So two tries within 11 minutes from Tom Stewart and Cooney, but Glasgow did, in fairness to them, dominate the rest of the match. So that's three away games and two losses for Ulster. That could very easily have been three losses as well. So is it simply a case of taking your lessons and moving on, as Dan McFarland often says, or are there more serious problems to be addressed? So to answer these questions and more, I'm joined by usual panel members, Ian Frizzell, Nathan Johns, and we're also delighted to be joined by Edinburgh fan and podcaster with the Scottish rugby pod, Craig Munson. So welcome to you, uh, Craig especially. Great to have you, Nathan and Ian as well. Um, and as we always start when Nathan's here, um, the story of the game. I think he he always does a good job of for people who didn't see the game or maybe can't remember exactly what happened. Nathan, would you mind sort of running us through what happens? Yeah, it's probably a sign that if I'm relied on to have watched the game every single week that I watch too much rugby um, <laughs> for my own good. Oh no, well I, I pretended the job. So um, no, you're right. Yeah, it was a fantastic start for for Ulster. Um, I think I remember reading. I think on the TV coverage after about 15 or so minutes, I think they had 81% possession. It, it popped up on the television or something like that. And that was the story of, of those first 10, 15 minutes or whatever uh, time frame it was. And they just held onto the ball. And I think in the first two minutes of play, the ball didn't get off the park. I think they had, they were in the Glasgow 22 twice, twice Glasgow cleared it. They didn't find touch. And Will Allison just ran it back and Ulster were able to build phases and build phases um, and eventually, it, it, it and that was right from kickoff. So I think you know, two minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but I think two minutes of flat out plays is is, is completely different. You know, it's it'll wreck you it's, um, for elite athletes, let alone you or me. And it culminated with kick to the corner, off a penalty. If you defend for two minutes straight, you're going to give away a penalty. And Tom Stewart got on the end of the back of a rolling mall. So from Ulster's point of view, happy days. The mall is working against a side that also has a very good mall, as as Ulster learned later on in, in the game. Um, they're holding on to the ball really well. Cooney's first game back, he's bossing things, bossing the forward carriers. They're they're going wide, wide as well, and they're getting some joy. And they get another try a couple of minutes later when, when Cooney himself gets on the end of a snipe again. It was it was probably another penalty that that gave them the entry into the twenty two. The mall didn't work this time. Um, they actually went back for another penalty, tried again, and eventually Cooney kind of snipes his way over. Probably got a little bit fortunate. Kieran Treadwell is is lying on the floor after clearing out a rook and. Uh, that might have been what opened up the hole in the defensive line just because he was standing, he was on the floor where a Glasgow defender 
probably could and would have been, uh, but didn't make contact with anyone, so got away with not no obstruction penalty. And you know, Cooney converts both, like you said, eleven minutes gone, fourteen nil up, and it was quite a bad tempered the first eleven minutes. I think it's been a while since I've heard a crowd that angry, put it that way. I think uh, Ben Whitehouse, I actually thought he had a very good game. He didn't really get a lot wrong and, and he let both sides away with a lot of the breakdown. But when the home side is is seeing is seeing a lot go and they're 14-0 down, they're not necessarily seeing what's being gone for them. I mean, you know, there was a the hit off the ball that drove them mad. They, they thought Cooney dropped the ball forward as he scored. They said it went backwards on replays. The one replay they did look at it probably was backwards. There was a crooked throw when they went short at the line-out Ulster that they got away with. A couple of offsides in midfield they got away with as well. So it was a bit bad-tempered. And then all of a sudden, then Glasgow started getting those decisions and it just completely evaporated. Ulster couldn't get the ball off Glasgow. They couldn't slow down their attack. And Glasgow's attack this season has been really good. Um, and if anything, they did manage to level it at 14 all by the break. Ulster probably lucky it was still level because there was a line. We saw, like you said, we saw how good the the line out more was. George Turner got over for the for the leveling score. That was after Kennedy, the scrum half, had scored from close range. Um, 20 minutes in, but there was a line out more that went. The ball went to floor. That saved Ulster. There was a few spills in the 22. Like Glasgow, for all their good attacking play, were actually probably very inefficient in the first half uh, inside the 22. So Ulster. I think it just boiled down to they couldn't slow the ball down uh, at the breakdown and, and you give that Glasgow attack, which has been firing on all cylinders this season, um, those, that amount of opportunities with quick ball, they'll punish you. And it didn't it didn't change after the break. Um, I, I should actually say for, for, the, for the Kennedy try, I thought of all people, uh, poor, poor old Hed, Henderson um, was at fault. I mean, Hume was trying to tell him to fold and to get around the other side of the ruck. You can see him screaming at him for about 10 seconds. He doesn't, and he just decides to flop on the breakdown and try and affect it, and does absolutely nothing. And then there's the hole, and this going to have Kennedy snipes and scores. And then obviously there's the mall try a couple of minutes late at, well, at the end of the half from Turner. Um, they scored again. The the row try was again also just get caught. Uh, they're defending too much. They don't fold quickly enough. The space out wide. Um, it actually again, if you're watching on TV, you wouldn't have seen this. There was a sneaky yellow card for Treadwell because he went in the side of a mall in, in the build up, and Ulster were on a warning. By that stage, for giving away too many penalties, um, they did pull things back. Cooney slotted a long-range penalty. Um, what took Ulster about ten minutes to get hold of the ball in the second half, and they eventually did work something. Um, but then the the Matthews try was absolutely brilliant for 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 Glasgow, and that kind of on fifty-eight minutes, that kind of put the nail in the coffin, so to speak. He only just came out off the bench, I think the the, the replacement hooker, and there was just some brilliant handling out wide, um, especially from the winger. I think it was Cancellari. Argentina just beautiful little deft pass and then it's hooker on hooker funnily enough in the wild channels in the wide channels and and Stuart Hopwell Tom Stewart just doesn't have the gas and he gets burned um they added another score late on but the game is pretty much done by then um I thought Nathan Doak did add a penalty but yeah Ulster just looked they did they, they got more of the ball in that second half than they did in the in the second 20 minutes of the first but I think not having a first choice 10 it showed Doak had a few touches but there was one time where he gets the ball and all of a sudden he looks up and all there's about seven or eight forwards on his right. And he looks to go to his left to the, the long side of the pitch and the nearest player is 40 yards away from him. He just didn't have the pods set up outside him. And I think they said after the game that he had no reps at 10 this week. And I think that showed a little bit. Um, granted, Ulster did have a few patches stocked that had a late break that could have led to something. But then the attack got shut down. So, yeah, I think, you know, Flannery going down in the warm up and then Burns going down with a HIA 20 minutes in. You add that to the fact that Ulster just couldn't 
slow the ball up for Glasgow and put any, do, do anything to slow down their attack. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was a long evening. Yeah, and from a neutral perspective, I suppose a thrilling game, do you know, but um, I, I think I'm sick of saying that with Ulster. I want the games to be less thrilling and more sort of, I don't know, uh, Ulster dominant, but like, that just wasn't the case apart from the opening sort of 20 minutes. And um, Craig, we're honoured to have you with us uh, this evening. So um, we'll go to you now. And I know you're primarily an Edinburgh fan. It might pain you to to sort of big up Glasgow and their performance. But talk to us about Glasgow's performance. And did the nature of the win surprise you? Uh, first of all, it's great to be back. And thanks for having me again. Um, yeah, it does pay me to talk about Glasgow, but that's a different story. Um, uh, Glasgow, they're not surprising me anymore. I think last last season when uh, Franco Smith came in, um, there was a lot of uh, Glasgow hands being thrown up and saying, this, you know, why are we taking, you know, they were expecting a more, a bigger name uh, coach to come in. But what he's done is he's absolutely galvanised the squad. And where Glasgow have done before where you know they go down to 14 nil in the first 20 minutes they find it very difficult to come back but they're they're, they're very much a from what I can tell they're very much a what's next sorry what's next style of uh, club now and they're no longer getting in they're, they're psychologically not bothered about what's going on and they'll just play their own game um and I think that's Franco Smith has brought this in he's he's dealing with a a team, I keep saying this on our pod, that, you know, where Edinburgh's got the superstars, Glasgow have a team of, a, a fairly steady team of some superstars, but a lot of team members that a lot of other URC um, uh, followers would, would struggle to point out in a, in a in a lineup. but he gets a performance out of them. Um, and one of the people to really look at, you know, you look at Sean Kendy, he's an ex, ex-Edinburgh player, finished up, was was uh, has been um, coaching a Super 6 side um, and widely regarded as an uncut gem. Um, and he's just, he's a fantastic player. Everyone around him loves him. And all of a sudden he comes in, um, he's, his wife had just had a baby that Wednesday, comes in and puts a fantastic performance in as a as, as the, starting, uh, the starting nine. So really for me, um, I would definitely... Uh, say it doesn't surprise me how good Glasgow are this season because of what happened last season. Um, let's just hope that the um, th- that their depth doesn't let them down um, because that that could be that that could be a problem further down the line. Yeah, and look, we'll come back to Craig about uh, Edinburgh more specifically uh, in a moment, but I want to turn to Ian now, and I thought the squad selection was really interesting. So. Dan is sticking with, he's done a 180 in this regard, so he got criticised last season for not rotating at all. Now he loves rotating players, so um, talk to us about that Ulster selection. I thought it was really interesting one, a couple of debuts, a couple of guys coming back, a huge number of injuries as well. So what did you make of that selection, Ian? Right, I think, first of all, uh, we need to look at that injury list uh, and last week that was quite extensive. Now, how serious those injuries were, it's 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 difficult to know because Ulster don't really tell you too much. Uh, and uh, maybe in in previous seasons, some of those guys that were listed as injured may well have played. Um, so I think he's been forced into more changes, and certainly was forced into more changes 
for the Glasgow game than he would have anticipated. He lost uh, Moore and McCann on Tuesday at training. And uh, from what I've been told, both were to be in the team uh, uh, for uh, for the weekend game. Um, so, um, yes, he's making changes, but I think some, some of those are being forced on him. Not sure that you would have seen uh, those two young guys um, uh, make their debut um, against Glasgow um, if we hadn't had uh, those injuries. Um, obviously, um, Kitsoff was always going to make his debut, I think, and I think he was right to, to hold him back, although I did, uh, I did reckon halfway through the, uh, uh, the first half that uh, Eric O'Sullivan might not uh, make it to half time. Such was the the uh, pressure being put on the on the uh, Ulster scrum. Um, this week, I think you'll go back um, uh, to to probably a bit more of an experienced uh, outfit uh, for the home game against Edinburgh. Yeah. Okay. And look, in terms of the injuries, um, I'm just looking at the list there. Sort of tried to work it out. Ulster, for, for whatever reason, have decided that they're going to, as you say, in not tell anyone who's injured. Uh, it's it's interesting, um, an interesting approach that they're taking there. Um, I think they have, by my calculations, 16 players out. Uh, that's if you add in Billy Burns and Jake Flannery. So <coughs> a, lot, a lot of those are, are sort of uh, the likes of Dave Ewers out, Mike Lowry's out, um, both with um, hip injuries, uh, Stuart Moore's out, hamstring, um, uh, Rob Herring at his calf, Dave McCann at his ankle. Um, it's almost as if there's a lot more injuries since we got the plastic pitch. It's weird, isn't it? Um, uh, well, it's not. It's, it, 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 isn't, it isn't weird because we've had this conversation. We had this conversation when, when we talked about the plastic pitch. Um, so, uh, uh, I mean, I was asked this question at the weekend, uh, or it was mentioned to me um, at, at the weekend that, uh, uh, we, you know, we're picking up like the, these little niggly injuries, maybe rather than the, rather than the season ending, ending ones. Um, and uh, a lot of it is maybe down to the pitch, but uh, maybe that's for a, a discussion for another time. Yeah. Some of those, I, I, I do know that some of those you named, uh, and I can't be specific, uh, uh, some of those you named are training uh, for the game this weekend. So Okay. Uh, Nathan, over to you there. Well, I mean, it was just interesting, uh, just talking about the pitch now. I, I think you need to be careful here because it's difficult to say what exactly is uh, running on ter- a plastic pitch or whatever you want to call it or not injury-related. But it just is interesting if you were going to draw those lines. Last week, we spoke to Stu McCluskey at the EPCR launch and he was asked about the pitch and he was pretty open, actually, in, in that he's delighted with how it allows Ulster to play more attack than rugby. But the players, he pretty much said the players were against it um, when they were briefed on it. He, funnily enough, he named, he named dropped Stockdale as somebody that was particularly against it. He, he didn't say that himself, Mikulski, was directly against it, but he was kind of talking around it. He said Jacob wasn't very keen. The players made their views he, he, the players made their view clear, is what he said. And then he said, but, you know, it went ahead anyway. So you can take from that what you want. Um, 
he didn't necessarily say it in a particularly angry or, or spiteful way, but it was it was just interesting that the players were kind of let given a platform to to say what they wanted. One player in particular was uh, particularly against it, apparently, and and then and then it goes ahead. Now, look, I think it's far too early to say, oh, they're all getting injured because of the plastic pitch, and you know they haven't how many how many home games have they had three, um, so it's not like they're I don't know maybe I I, I don't you guys know better than I do how often they they train it on that pitch as opposed to just playing matches on it, but uh, yeah, it's just interesting those comments were were made last week and and, and reported to today, so um, yeah, it was it was it was an interesting point. Yeah, I, m- I meant to ask you about that, Nathan, in a bit, bit more detail. Um, I, that was that; those are the noises that I had heard as well. I think it was a sort of uh, a, a bit of a secret, but uh, not a particularly well kept one around Ulster that the players were not in favour of the pitch. I know. Well, a player, that, a player speaking on the record is, is is not really that much of a secret anymore, is it? Not I mean, anymore. It's, it's, not anymore. No, like you know, the, like I said, that 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 wasn't a conversation after the microphones got turned off or anything, that was when he had five journalists with their phones hit and record in front of him. So um, it was funny. Like, I, I I don't think he got in any trouble for saying it or anything because the Ulster's PR people were, were there next to him and they, they didn't really react when that line of questioning came up. So like I, you said, I think maybe they've just accepted that people know that they weren't happy. I just, I just remember whenever the pitch was coming in, there was a real exercise in uh, these guys being wheeled out. I remember Nathan Duke in particular being wheeled out and uh, it was, it was, like a hostage video is like we love the plastic pitch the plastic pitch will make everything <laughs> perfect at Ulster no it, it was it was that sort of thing and uh, I can't stand that let players say and eventually like, I don't know if he's been caught unawares and has been more honest than he's allowed to be but it's good to hear Joe, that's what the players think uh, I know from anecdotal experience and, and various players who have gotten in touch on Twitter and things and said like this this plastic pitches are um have uh, actually hastened the the ending of of some players' careers. I'm not a fan of them, clearly. Ian, sorry over to you. Just just one point. Uh, we've played four games in a row on plastic pitch. We train Connacht, yeah. We we train almost exclusively on plastic pitch. We use the school, the Aquinas Grammar School, behind Ravenhill, uh, and have been training on that for 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 a good few years. Um, we do train uh, 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 as well down in uh, uh, off the Malone Road there. Uh, Newforge, we do train down there, and that's grass. But uh, I, I think most of our training has been done either on the pitch or on the school pitch uh, this season so far. So we we, we you know we're ex- almost exclusively plastic now yeah. um, at the minute, and again we're, we're on it again uh, at this weekend, and then we're going to the to to the, uh, the the quagmire that's Bath. Yeah. Um, so we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll see how we get on when we get down there. Love love the the old school sort of mud mud bath uh, uh, conditions that we, we might see. I love all that stuff. But uh, Craig, we're lucky to have you for another sort of few minutes here. I just want to turn to you and ask you number one. Tell us if if you've heard anything about what Glasgow players think of the plastic pitch for one thing and. Is there, is there anything you've heard in that regard? How how players have adopted, uh, sorry, adapted to that? That it's 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 for Scotland as a whole because obviously now Edinburgh have got a plastic pitch as well, and there wasn't a lot to be said. But then again, Scott the SRU Scotland Rugby uh, 
basically are very similar to Ulster in that um, you don't get very, you, you get people wheeled out who are quoting exactly the same line over and over again. You don't, and, and if you dissent at all, you never see them again. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I think we've not heard a huge amount. I did hear um, there was talk of um, Wes Goosen, who has had injury after injury for the fir- for the first season he was with Edinburgh, and because Edinburgh train on plastic. And play on plastic. They very rarely do. They well, they, they do have grass to train on, um, but a lot of you know a lot because of the weather and things like that. They, a lot of the time, it's on the plastic pitch. And he has finally. It's almost like he's built a tolerance um, because he's now that's him strung a few games at the beginning of the season together without injury. And a lot of his injuries were uh, were to do with ankles and and knees and hips and things like that. So it it, it is a difficult one because. If you, especially if you look at the Glasgow boys on the weekend, a lot of their forwards were still had fairly sizable studs on, metal studs on, and the big issue you have with that is that that that's one of the biggest the biggest problems on plastic pitches with the studs getting caught in the plastic pitch, they're yeah. twisting their legs, and where 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 grass gives the plastic pitch doesn't, um, so that that's why where for example, well you know a lot of people have. have John Barclay was was quoted in saying that um, that he did his one of his major injuries with his knee at, at, at Glasgow um, when he was playing for Scarlets, you know, just before he, he signed for Edinburgh. So it's 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 yeah. Um, there's I think that you're probably sixty sixty uh, percent unhappy about plastic pitches and forty percent happy because we're we're getting quicker rugby and 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 the rugby's never cancelled, you know. Yeah, interesting. I think, you know, the f- feedback would be similar. I think it was funny whenever Ulster put up a post about the plastic pitch uh, and they were just rinsed over it. Uh, it was funny. They put it up like progress photos. You know, the plastic pitch has gone in and fans were just like, this is a disaster. Now, it remains to be seen. I think it's unfair to, to treat players like guinea pigs. I think the NFL have done plastic pitches and uh, they've somewhat gone back on that now. I think they're a bit ahead of us. They've gone back now. Um, and look, until it's been proven to be safe and, and proven to be uh, that there's there's fewer injuries or an equal number of injuries, probably shouldn't shouldn't go to, uh, uh, move to that. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just while we have you, Craig, Tell us, because uh, obviously we're looking ahead to Edinburgh uh, this weekend um, with Ulster. So talk to us about how Edinburgh have gone so far this season. What have been the strengths and weaknesses? Um, well, up until the weekend, um, one of the biggest strengths was was Edinburgh seeing out games um, and, and, and winning games that a lot of the time they would have lost. Um, you know, they've had some, you know, okay, they lost right at the beginning of the season, but then they put a string of four games, four, four, four wins in a row. And and it was, I think, the, one of the biggest influences on that was Ben Healy coming in and, and giving us, because we're able to put points on the board with a kicker. Um, and then Bennett and came along. And, and you know, with Bennett and that, you know, Bennett aren't shy of toppling anyone. Um, they'll they'll come and have a go at anybody, and 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 you can almost roll a dice with Bennett. But we gave we gave away a a particularly um, uh, silly try at the end there to to let them take on the take the win because um, and and unfortunately it's the it's the new globe trotting fifteen uh, Blair Kinghorn that was that, that threw a pass away that just he should have just hung on to. So it's it's been a for me I think from what 
I think again it's a similar thing to Glasgow. I think Edinburgh are becoming more mentally strong. I think Sean I think Sean Everett is is going to is is developing this sort of um almost how can I put it? When when Richard Cockrell came into Edinburgh, he turned them upside down and shook the change out of their pockets and told them you're not getting it back. And and he, he really ups he upturned the, the the apple cart with them all and maybe he went over well, obviously he went too far because he he, he they started revolting almost at the end. I think Sean Everett's going to give a similar strength because if you hear some of the interviews he's given, he's looking for strength and contact, um, go forward and contact. It's all it's very South African based, um, but also he's got the attack there um, and some players that can really attack um, well. So I think he's maybe he's he's in between the Cockrell and the Mike Blair. And he's actually bringing a little bit of temperance to it all and, and knowing where to play and when to play. Yeah, interesting. And look, in terms of um, in terms of this weekend, any predictions? And I suppose you mentioned a couple of names there, but is there anyone that we should be looking out for the, the weekend? And, and as I say, look, any predictions in terms of both performance and outcome? Yeah, um, I think... I think um, well, there's there's this there's this new boy that's come to Edinburgh to really look out for. Um, apparently, he's some sort of great shake in Glasgow. Um, a guy called Ali Price. Um, so, uh, but no, it's I think I think Ali Price. I wasn't I wasn't hugely keen. What's the, how can I put it? I wasn't. It was a yeah okay. We've got Ali Price. That's fine. Glasgow were howling and still are howling with anger about it. Um, I just I'm always a little bit. Um, jaded by the fact that we took the last scrum half we took from um from from Glasgow was uh, Henry Purgos who's completely and utterly slowed us down. So um but he did bring along um an element of control and I think that's what Ali Price will bring with Ben Ben Velicott's um uh, speed and pace. Where where I think to, I think our back row are are somewhere to look at um apart from obviously um uh, Ewan Ashman, who seems to have fitted in really, really well at hooker. But um, Luke Crosby, it's his time to shine. Um, he's playing at eight and back row and sometimes on the on the flank. And and he is a... a because of Bill Mata, big Bill Mata, he's kind of... Sometimes he gets games, sometimes he doesn't. And then when he goes to Scotland, because of now Jack Dempsey coming in, etc., um, you know, he, he's kind of a bit part player in those. And I think this is it's time for him to shine in Edinburgh colours. Um, but also Connor Boyle. Connor Boyle has been, um, uh, he's a young lad that's come through. He burst onto the scene with Edinburgh with Richard Cockrell. He was playing really well. And then all of a sudden he just seemed to go, well, either he went off the boil or he fell out with Richard Cockrell. Um, and he's he's been playing regional um, rugby with um, with Super 6. Um, he comes in and he plays the odd the odd um, A game that they have, and then all of a sudden it looks like um, Sean Everett's really taken a like to him because he's been playing very he's been playing regularly for Edinburgh. Um, so for me, um, I would look out for Connor Boyle. He's he's a turnover machine as well. Um, so we're really it, it should be exciting. Yeah, no, good to know. Always good to get a bit of insight. And uh, turn to you now, Nathan. I think before Craig goes, you have a, a quick question. Yeah, just very quickly, just because it's bizarre. Uh, and you mentioned his name earlier. I'm, I think I'm right in saying this is going to be his last game this week uh, up in Ulster. I mean, what, what what's what's going on with the Blair Kinghorn situation? I mean, you never see like money exchanging hands and, and mid-season transfers. But you know, Toulouse can call him with the big bucks. And he's gone. Obviously, Toulouse are losing 
Melvin Jaminé is in the market for a fullback. But just yeah. what's going on there? I I think yes. I I think there's a couple of things. Um, obviously, let's let's not you know. No matter what Scottish fans say and other people around the world say, Blair Kinghorn is a prodigious talent and he has become a very very round, well-rounded player. However, I don't think anyone has would have thought that Toulon would uh, sorry Toulouse would come in with big bucks and take him away from Edinburgh. What I think he does and he has done very very well for for Scotland is. He will cover 10, he'll cover the wing, and he'll cover 15. And with them, um, with uh, oh, uh, Intermac still injured, with uh, DuPont going off to sevens, because DuPont has played a little bit of, uh, a little bit of 10 as well. Um, they, and, and I know that, um, uh, oh, the, 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 the 15 for Toulouse. Um, well, they've lost Jaminé, but they've yeah, also got, Ram, Ram, they've got Ramos. Yeah, Ramos was playing 10 at the weekend. So it brings it gives them the opportunity to bring Ramos in at ten if need be, and then have Blair Kinghorn on at fifteen, or he can also play 10, 10 for them if they really if they really want the the experiment to go the experiment to go further, um, and also he gives them a wing cover as well. So I think he's a he's an ideal player to have on the bench, and that sounds terrible um, for me to say, but he, but for a club like Toulouse that have that are probably I'm sure they're not getting much change out of five hundred grand. I would have thought or five hundred thousand euros for him. You know they paid good money for him. Um and and you know the minute you start offering six figures to uh to the SRU, they're going to take your hand off for a player anyway. And and so can you still play for Scotland? What are the, what are those rules about? We have playing? no we have no issues. We'll take you no matter what you're, where you're playing. Um, so. Uh, so, or, no, where, or, where, or where you're from? <laughs> or where you're from? Well, yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, but let's let's just say that there's there's several countries in this sort of uh, northern hemisphere that will be quite happy to take uh, players from many different countries, even though if they've, you know, even if they don't have a a, a Scottish or Irish granny. But um, uh, I think I, th- I yeah, he can play. Um, I think it's only going to do one thing for Blair Kinghorn, and it's going to give him. Um, a huge amount of experience and really develop them a little bit further. You need to look at Finn Russell. Well, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to break him or it's going to it's going to bring him on. Um, and if you look at Finn Russell, look at what Finn Russell, how Finn Russell developed going from Glasgow to Racing. Um, he was a different player. He is a different player going to going to Racing. Now, whether that's it, they fed his ego at Racing mm-hmm. or they gave him players around him to just go, go on there, on you go, show us. And and he's and he's got that and if and, and funnily enough if you talk if you see what's happening at Bath and not to turn this around to Blair Kinghorn but uh, to turn this away from Blair Kinghorn and Finn Russell but if you talk to people at Bath um, they're all saying that Finn Russell has brought this sort of um, uh, confidence to everybody around them so I think hopefully that will give Blair Kinghorn a little bit of oomph um, and a little bit more confidence and it'll also get a little bit of the Scottish um, fans off his back because there's been a lot of Scottish fans on his back about, especially when he was playing at ten for Edinburgh and in Scotland. Yeah, interesting, Craig. And like we could talk to you all night, and I know you could talk away about Scottish rugby all night, but you have <laughs> you, you, you have your own uh, you have your own podcast to record. So we like we'll let you go, but we really appreciate you coming on, Craig. Thank you for that. It's been great to be here, and uh, thank you. And I'm sorry I can't stay longer. And hopefully, next if if I get back next time, I'll I'll stay for the full podcast. Well, we'd gladly have you back. So thanks, Craig, and and enjoy your your next podcast recording session. I'll go. I'll give the I'll give the lads your best, and uh, no doubt. Enjoy.
no doubt John Anderson's saying something about Glasgow in a minute, so we'll wait and see. Ask him about John Cooney as well, just to I, see if he's revised that. his views. Absolutely, <laughs> 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 he rinsed him last week. <laughs> oh, that well, yeah, John does tend to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant, Craig. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Um, so, like, having discussed, uh, we've sort of jumped ahead a wee bit there with Edinburgh and the chat from Craig, which is great. Um, well, I want to go back a wee bit, uh, and I want to ask you, Nathan, about, and you've sort of touched on it or alluded to different things in your summary, but basic question is, how did Ulster lose that one? Is it a mindset issue? Is it a lack of quality? Do we just have to give Glasgow credit for battling their way back into the game? What do you think? Yeah, we should probably talk about the game where actually here to talk about that, <laughs> Blair, Blair Kinghorn and transfers and stuff. I don't, sorry, it was, just, it was just dead interesting. I saw the news yeah. during the week and my, my jaw was dropped because you, yeah. you just never see you just never see that. Um, yeah, look, it's probably all of the above in terms of answering your question. Um, mm. It was in a very inexperienced side in the positions you kind of need to step up and change the tide of the game. And um, you look at backward in particular. Harry, Sher- Harry Sheridan and James McNabney tore up trees the first 15 minutes, particularly I think McNabney had seven or eight progressive carries was the stat, and he made the most metres for the Ulster side, but I think he made them all in the first 10 minutes. Um, and then when Ulster were constantly on the back foot, giving up a quick ball, which we mentioned, who was it that was in there that was really disrupting, that was trying to get the ball back, that was even just slowing things up? And, um, you know, we saw it on the weekend in, in, in the other in the big into pro down in Dublin, you know, Leinster were all at sea for 20 minutes, but they only conceded one try because they you had like Sir Joe McCarthy just disrupting the breakdown and disrupting enough attacks that they got away with it until they started playing it well again. Ulster just didn't have that, um, which again is what I touched on earlier. That's where I'd be disappointed with. Yeah, okay, you can say the back row was inexperienced and blame them, but at the same time, you had the likes of, I thought Henderson was quite ineffective. We mentioned for the try, he just kind of put in a useless defensive breakdown entry that didn't do anything but equally you know he wasn't popping up at other points in the pitch that, you, that you'd want like you'd want them to and they probably missed someone like a Rob Herring who's normally very good defensively at the breakdown it's not quite Tom Stewart's game and um, he has got it in him occasionally but I don't think to the same effect he's a, he's a better carrier and um, and and you know scoring off the walls is <laughs> his forte more of a, mm-hmm. an attacking player um, I mean, the scrum in the first half was all at sea. I mean, Ian mentioned it earlier. He thought Eric O'Sullivan would be gone by half time. I mean, it's no coincidence that he's up against. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's a British and Irish lion, um, Xander Fagerson, a tight head for mm. for Glasgow. But equally, it's no coincidence. He gives away. I think it was two or three scrum penalties in the first half. But then equally, Kitsoff comes on in 43 minutes, and the scrum is all of a sudden very stable and very secure. So that kind of didn't let Ulster, because anytime they, because I mentioned earlier, Glasgow were really sloppy in the 22 for the, even though they scored two tries in the first half. And um, anytime there was a handing mistake, it felt like there was a scrum penalty and Glasgow just could just go straight back in because Ulster's scrum was all at sea. It's, it felt like earlier on the season, it was the tight head side. They didn't have any fit tight heads. Now all of a sudden they've got O'Toole and Moore back and, they just need to play kits off for 75 minutes every week because you don't know what you're going to get out of out of Eric O'Sullivan scrum-wise. Um, I'm not sure what Andy War. I think Andy Warwick is injured, isn't he? He's normally fairly solid um, come scrum time. So it was just a case. And then a couple of errors. I mean, there was one time they tried to get out of their 22 and McNabney makes a really good carry off the back of a, of a scrum, but then I think he gets ripped out of it in contact and all of a sudden Glasgow have the ball again five yards outside the 22. 
So it was just a lot of things. They couldn't exit when they did turn the ball over or Glasgow were, were, were poor in their attack. And um, when Glasgow did hold on to the ball, they couldn't slow it down. Um, and just the, the big name players that you need when you've got an inexperienced injury ravaged side didn't quite step up and have those just two or three big impacts mm-hmm. that you need just to keep yourselves in touch. And to be fair, they were, look, it was 14 all at half time. It wasn't like they were out of the game. But in terms of what was going on in the balance of play, you just did think you, you couldn't see a way back for them. And I think just after half, again, to reference TV graphics, I think five minutes into the second half, I think it was still 14 all. And the TV said, win, had a win predictor and Glasgow were at 68, 69%. Mm-hmm. And you're going, hang on, there's still 35 minutes mm-hmm. and it's 14 all. But yeah. I think that that kind of puts into numbers what the feeling was. You just, yes, it was 14 all, but you just didn't see how, how Ulster were kind of getting back into it. So it's, I think, a combination of lots of different things. I don't know how many of those things are like very worrying and things that are big season-wide trends. You probably can't say any of them are because of the injury list. But yeah, that's that, 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 it's, it's frustrating from, from the Ulster point of view that you didn't have one or two big moments from, from your big players, I think. Yeah, yeah, but look, as you say, look, there's no, there's never a simple answer to that question. Why the losers, multivariate factors, why any team loses a game. Um, it was just a weird one because it was such a strong start, and then, and then it's like, well, what happened? And in Nathan mentioned a few players there, but I turn to you now, talk about the individuals. Who are the individual players who stood out to you um, in that game on Saturday? I, uh, well, there's a couple of things I would like to just. Just mention, uh, we, we talked about the scrum. Um, Glasgow Warriors had eight internationals who are currently in and around the uh, uh, the Scotland squad, um, and some of them very very experienced. A couple can, coming off the bench as well. Uh, Two hundred and eighty seven caps in that in the starting uh, the starting pack. Ulster, uh, uh, in contrast. Um, I have five here with a question mark because two of them have one cap each um, and and Henley 79 for a total of 104 starting. Uh, so, you know, everything for me boils down to the difference between the two uh, sets of forwards. I know Nathan has had mentioned there about, you know, the inexperience of, of, uh, of those young guys. Yes, uh, we were quite gung-ho in the first uh, 15 minutes, and 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 those guys were standing out. But yeah, when we when we when the pressure came on, um, we just didn't have any answers to to that greater experience and and uh, in the in the Glasgow pack. Um, again, Nathan name checked a couple there who who uh, who actually stood out in that period, and and at other times maybe as well. Mc uh, McNabney was uh, excellent in his debut. Uh, and probably was a pick of our our uh, uh, our, our twenty three. Um, <clears throat> Came Treadwell to me uh, all action, but um, penalty machine. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, he he does tend to do that. And and uh, but he but he's he's all action. He he puts in uh, big big shifts. Uh, and it's no surprise that it was that it was he who who got the yellow card. Uh, I know we were on a yellow card, but I think it's just his, uh, you know, the way he wants to play the game and he gets into those situations and sometimes they come off for him and sometimes they don't. Um, again, Crothers, I thought, had a, had a pretty sound game for his basically his second, uh, his, his second performance. 
no one in the backs really um, stood out. Uh, there was a couple of uh, uh, very uh, poor decisions uh, made by a couple of the players. And, and I would pinpoint, uh, I don't like to name check too many players to make mistakes, but I would pinpoint the, the Addison crossing uh, when um, we were more than likely, I think, to score from that uh, from that play uh, uh, than, we, than, than not. Uh, that gave them a penalty and uh, we could have been 21-0 up. Uh, mm -hmm. And who knows, uh, the game may have panned out slightly different. Um, so... Um, good to see young guys like uh, like Solomon coming on, having a debut. Um, not sure how often we're going to see him uh, going forward. Uh, I know uh, James McCormick is. Uh, he was almost ready. He was ready to come back, and then suffered another injury mm. in training. So he's out yeah. for probably for about six weeks or so, I think. Um, so um, well, yeah. well, we'll see. Three, three hookers injured. Uh, luckily, we're we're not too bad in that position. Uh, it still has Tom Stewart to, to step in. Uh, Herring, Andrew, and McCormick, as you say, all out. Nathan, good to you now. Yeah, just on the positives, I think. I, look, I bashed Henderson earlier. He had a couple of lineout steals, didn't he? I mean, he was he part of the reason, part of the reason why Glasgow were so inefficient in the twenty-two. So that 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 was something. I mean, Ulster's lineout always does tend to be pretty good, especially when you've got your back row, second row hybrid and Sheridan in there as well. Um, and in those first 10, 15 minutes, I actually thought, uh, yeah, I agree with you in the second half, the backs were just anonymous and, and nobody helped, nobody helped Nathan Doak at 10 by, by trying to organise things or, yeah. or not, not so much take control because you can't take control if you're on the centre, at centre of the wing, but, you know, organise pods, organise the next phase for him while he's, you know, that could have happened. But when they did have the ball and they were going forward, I was really impressed with James Hume. Um, mm. I thought the way he carried was 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 excellent. He took the ball. And to be fair, there was one first phase attack in the second half where Glasgow just sat off him, and he just made an extra ten yards because he just, he just instantly recognised that. And then the ball goes out the back to Doak and Ulster go wide. And I think they turned the ball over a few phases later. But I think, as always with the centre, he's someone who thrives when they're going forward. And they've got he's got. I think mean, there's there's not a lot of players in the Irish system who are as good as he is decision making when he's got a backpedalling defender in front of him, he almost always picks the right call as to whether to go through the gap, go front door, go out the back. And he did that really well on two or three occasions. Um, yeah. But again, he'd be somebody you'd look at and go, right, well, when you're going backwards, when you're not in the game, how are you going to go out there and affect the game and, and try and... Because he is, he is a senior player now. How are you going to go out there? And and look, it's probably being harsh because Ulster just didn't really have that much ball um, from the 20th minute onwards. But yeah, that's that, he'd be the type of guy I go right. Here's what you can do. Here's what we know you're really, really good at, and you showed it. But how do you get into the game when the game's not coming to you? Yeah, well, let me go back to you. Ian. Yeah, just just a point. Yeah, I'd agree, uh, Nathan, on on James Hume and his form this season, uh, superb. Uh, and maybe it was remiss of me not to mention him. Uh, one thing I would say is that uh, uh, you know we've chopped and changed centres so much this season. It's very difficult to. To, to you know, for these guys to to get into set patterns, uh, look, Marshall is is a wonderful player and one of my all time favorite Ulster players. Uh, but you know, he just looked, he's, you know, he's he's in there for his first appearance of the season basically, and and he just looked off the pace a wee bit. 
Um, and he, he, he definitely did. I mean, that that example that I they said earlier of the of of the the the, the forty yard gap between ten mm-hmm. and whoever. Marshall was standing outside um, Matty Ray on the wing. And Matty Ray was the closest guy. He was on the fifteen. Dope yeah. was nearly on the on the opposite fifteen. And Marshall at twelve was the other side of of Ray hugging the touchline. Now that's obviously something that's that they've said. You know, I think he Martin took Luke, an Luke. Yeah, yeah. He, he also might have taken an off. Nathan, you could yeah. see when he came off, he was he was sort of holding his arm in a in a, in a strange a strange way. So. Uh, I'm 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 not sure. Maybe that was around that time, but um, that, that could have had something to do with it. Yeah, one of the one of the questions um, that came in, and what we'll do now is we'll turn to sort of listener questions. Um, it's from Simon Boyd, and anyone can jump in on this. I think it's a really interesting question, and one which um, is is really relevant at the minute. So who's next in line for the fly half position if Burns and Flannery are injured? Any thoughts on that? I would I would say that uh, um, looking at, at what we have, apparently Humphreys is, is the only 10 in the academy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We have um, Curtis who had played a bit at 10, but I haven't seen him play 10 for a couple of seasons. Uh, and obviously Duke. Uh, mm. Had been, you know, had obviously been covering at ten. Um, you know, they said, you know, he, he, he might have run a wee bit at ten during the week. They didn't say, uh, you know, that he didn't, he, he, he fully didn't run any at ten. So um, I would say he's he's your backup to those those two. Yeah. Um... I know there's a question earlier there as well. Sorry for jumping back in. I know there was a question as well earlier about uh, Mike Lowry. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah. when are we going to see him back at 10? Yeah. Person, personally, and, and I know that a, a lot of people don't agree with me, I don't see him as a 10. I've never seen him as a 10. Completely at, agree. At, mm. at that level. Uh, and he's struggling at the minute uh, even to get back into the side in his, in, in, in his um, main position at 15. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, unless he uh, gets back to his form of, of uh, 2021, um, you could see him being pushed out of Ulster altogether. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that ship has sailed. Him at ten, I think by all means he hasn't even helped this season because they tried to play him on the wing in the first game of the season, which, as we said at the time, he's just not suited for that. He's a he's a really good counter attacking fifteen because mm-hmm. you get him on the ball when he's got disorganized defensive lines chasing kicks at him. That's when he's at his best, and that's when he was in that really good 2021 form. But basically, since then, teams have just stopped kicking badly to him. He's, he's had a few injuries as well, hasn't he? So he, And then oh, now and then they stuck him on the wing and he lost some form and confidence and now he just can't get back at the team. Even though, I, I, funnily enough, I, I haven't been fully 100% convinced by, by Addison's return yet. I think I still think there's a lot, of, a lot of rust there. So there could be an argument for, for chopping and changing. I, I, I don't know what if Larry's fit or not. I haven't been keeping close enough attention. But on the terms of the 10, I, think, I don't think we've seen enough of him as a second playmaker at 15 to go yeah he could then be the main guy and be on the ball more and have defenses in his face rather than being the second man behind a forward pod or chasing kicks mm. you need to be excellent but those things are easier than having three forwards running you and you mm-hmm. need to you need to pick front door back door um yeah. so yeah I, I think i don't think we're going to see that yes yeah, yeah, so, sorry, sorry go, go ahead i just I just think any time I've seen seen Larry at, at ten, he's what I call a shoveler. Um, you know, exactly. he just he's, he's, he's just basically there to to get the ball out to the next player. 
uh, and mm. creative wise, he's not he's not got the new. I don't think uh, to you know to be the creative player. And I think if we can get Jake Flannery fully fit, I do believe that there's a creative player there, and and and, and he's the guy that we will go forward with. Yeah. I think Flannery is absolutely the man. The other thing to consider is, but Burns is a HIA, wasn't it? So there's every possibility he passes HIA too, and he's fine and he plays. So he, 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 as far as I know, he, um, he only he wanted to come back on the pitch. I don't know if you saw that, uh, and and it wasn't really a, a terribly bad knock. So uh, I don't know the full uh, extent of uh, HIA two and and so on, but uh, I do believe he may well be in line to play this weekend. Yeah, and look, I think to answer your question, Simon, about who's next in line, the answer is there's not really anyone who's who's next in line. Um, the, without Burns and without Flannery, Ulster in, are in trouble. Um, uh, as Ian said, Angus Curtis is there. He's down as a 10. Mike Lowry, uh, I agree with you guys. Um, even his, his kicking out of hands, not great. Um, his, his ability to d- dictate a game isn't great. Now, it's a bit of a shame because he, he always played there. He played there at school. He played at 10. And he's a very skillful player. Um, you could imagine him being a pretty good attacking 10. But uh, yeah, he just hasn't hasn't done it. Uh, anytime we've seen him, he, he hasn't turned it on at 10. So um, the, the other question there, along similar lines, with Burns out of contract at the end of the season, will McFarlane make a change at 10? I don't want to focus on 10 too much. Um, one of the things uh, we haven't mentioned James Humphreys all that much now James Humphreys name recognition is great um, and I, I, I'm a huge fan of David Humphreys um, uh, James Humphreys anytime I've seen him I don't know about you guys but he has looked just too small um, and I know that's such a basic thing but uh, James Humphreys is the next in line uh, after all these guys there's there's not a single other I actually just check the academy there's no other 10s apart from James Humphreys coming through the system well, it's quite, quite worrying <laughs> um, yeah and there's nothing in the schools you know there's no normally by now you would have sort of people would have been name dropping uh, some guys coming through at, at, at upper sixth level uh, and I'm not hearing of anybody uh, really coming coming through from the schools at the moment. So, well, put it uh, this way: that that means they're not going to let Billy go lightly. Um, yeah. They'll only let him go if they can get an ex- probably an experienced option in, and then they probably will look to get someone else in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, from an Ulster point of view, I'd I'd be asking Leinster which of their tens are they not going to play. Charlie Tector is contracted under twenties Grand Slam winner, and they haven't used him at all this year. It's mm. been the burn. It's been the burn brothers, Sam Prendergast and Kieran Frawley. Um, yeah. I, I can't. I can't say for sure that Ulster were after him because I don't know which ones it was. But I. I know for a fact that provinces plural were in for Prendergast last year. Um, asking that question, and that is that is part a big part of the reason why he got a professional contract after only one year in the academy as opposed to two or three. Now, the fact that we're having this conversation, if I was a betting man, I would say it was Ulster that were asking the question. I don't know for sure, but I know someone asked the question. Um, and yeah, so that's, I think, Ulster, there's, there's absolutely, you, you move, he- even if you're not going to play him that much next year, because Flannery is your man, you move heaven and hell to to, to give Billy a, a new contract if you can afford it, provided he doesn't get a better offer in France or something, or Japan. Um, and you, you try to get another young kid if it is someone like a like a Tector from, from Leinster. 
Yeah, I, I would I would take Tector, I'd take Prendergast. <laughs> Anyone like, there's no got... chance, no chance of Prendergast. <laughs> He's locked up. He is locked. And I'm not just saying that from a Leinster point of view. Like, like there's I'm sorry, there's no way a, a kid gets a he's 20 years old, you don't get pro contracts at, at 20 years yeah. old. hundred percent they were they were spooked, I think. How how good how good is he, Nathan? Is he the next section? Yeah, he's proper. Yeah, he's proper. Yeah. I mean, he's he's played. He I've watched him in person quite a lot this season down down in Leinster, and um, the first game he started, which was against Scarlets, for twenty minutes, him and the attacking backline was just so good to watch. Now Leinster lost control of that game, and they hooked him on fifty minutes because they just needed Rosper and have a bit more control. I don't necessarily think that was his fault. He just didn't know how to but he, he just he has these touches his first touch in the RDS this season was a 50-22 that would have been but it was passed back over halfway to him and then his second touch was a cross kick for a for a score like he just he has the noticeable touches like that like he creates tries for people out of nothing but equally just great vision uh Nathan yeah Fantastic exactly vision. shot all shot all through that under 20s uh season um the, the you know the vision that the guy has um I would have questioned maybe his uh, his ability to 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 run hard, but that but that changed after seeing him score that try. Uh, oh, exactly. So his first, first first five minutes of his first home game in Leinster, mm-hmm. he scores. Now that was that was a little bit fortunate. He was on the uh, he, he had a bit of gas. He was Gibson yeah, but they had up. the gas to get over it. Uh, you know, well, which which I wasn't just a hundred percent sure that he did have. That well, he's level. quicker. He, he's quicker yeah. than Johnny. Put it that way. But that's not very well, hard. Um, well, but then um, I mean. Johnny has to bring the walking stick with him as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing I would say is he's the big problem with Ross Byrne has always been historically he doesn't take the ball close to the line, which is why he's but Appendagast first few minutes he's taking the ball so close to the line that that Ring Rose got smashed and illegally and there was a yellow card in that game. And then <laughs> five minutes later, Prendergast had his welcome to rugby moment when he passes the ball and he gets nailed, absolutely drilled. Now Lencer ended up scoring a few phases later, I think. So he was yeah, okay, but he but, got up again. Yeah, but that, that's what I'm saying. He's he's he's, he's, he's twenty yeah. he's twenty years old and he's he's not shunted back by mm-hmm. players and he's also got the vision. So look, I can see why Ulster, if it was Ulster, why they were trying to get him. Absolutely, that would be that would have been an amazing signing. Sadly, I think Leinster were too alive to the fact he's class, so they they kept them. Um, do you know, uh, as we're talking, you're just like, like you need an experienced 10, safe pair of hands, someone to step in, someone experienced. Sounds a lot like Ian Madigan, doesn't it? Um, Ian Madigan would be <laughs> the answer to our problems at the minute. Uh, strange situation there, but uh, it would have been good to to give him um, a, more time last season as well as have him, have him available for selection this season anyway. Yeah, um, let's let, let let let's leave Ian where, where he's at. He's enjoying his uh, his TV career now at the moment. But <laughs> but uh, you know, don't get me started on on his uh, under uh, under use last season. I think it was absolutely ridiculous. Crazy. Anyway, um, the other question, just as we wrap up here, there's there's I've been a, a large number of questions came in, so we'll focus on one or two. And I know this is. Uh, one of your sort of uh, hobby horses, uh, Nathan, talking about Bobby Balakun, uh, talking about his involvement in the game. Stephen McCormick on Twitter asked, why does Bobby Balakun, this sounds a bit harsh to me, why does Bobby Balakun rarely make any breaks or get involved in the game? It's funny, actually. Uh, I actually thought one of the, for one of the tries, it's not, and this is his defensive work because that's something that slips under the radar, for one of the Glasgow tries, he had, but the Glasgow 15 had beaten him on the outside 
which meant Addison had to come in and that left the the, the scoring the gap open for the player to score. But Balakun actually had had the speed to make to, to recover and, and get to the fifteen. But Addison didn't back him. He, he, so I think that it's interesting. I, 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 I of all the people you back in you know, Irish rugby to to have the gas to to make that recovery tackle, it would be him. So you know he's he's a really good defensive winger and probably doesn't get enough credit. But in terms of why he doesn't make any breaks, I don't look. I don't know. I mean, we said at the beginning of the season we really want to see Ulster's wingers be more proactive and for the attack to do more to get them involved. And that's happened with Stockdale to to a fairly large extent. I think it could still happen more, but he's been really proactive, has has as Jacob has been really proactive in terms of getting on the ball and and also he's, his finishing has been really good this season. How many breaks has Stockdale made is actually another question. I suspect it's we think it's more because he scored loads of tries. I don't know how many line breaks he's actually made. He made one big one on on Saturday, just kind of out of nowhere. I have no idea it was an attack with broken down completely and somehow he managed to get through I don't, I don't know I think it was a shoddy piece of defending um, so you'd probably go at this stage if Ulster have started attacking more and playing an attacking style that does get Stockdale involved a bit more I don't think he's that much more involved than he was previously I just think his finishing has gotten better um, then you have to look at the player and go right does he have that instinct that I'm going to come find the ball and go looking for it and if I was 6'4 and absolutely rapid, I'd like to think I would have that instinct. Um, I don't want to say he doesn't because it's early in the season. You know, I, I do back his ability 100%. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's starting to get to the point where at the beginning of the season and last season, I was criticising Ulster's attack for not getting him involved more. I still think they could do more. But then when you look at what Jacob's doing in the other way, you, you, we're not quite at that stage, but we're getting to the stage where you have to look at, say, okay, is 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 the player, does he, does he have that instinct and desire of a Mac Hansen, which is who he's competing for for that 14 jersey for Ireland yeah. to just be a messy winger as Andy Farrell calls it and just get stuck in and you know the more you get the ball the more likely you are to, to, to get a line break yeah yeah. yeah. It, it, he, did, he did get involved a wee bit more I thought on uh, on the weekend against Glasgow he did pop up a couple of times on the left on the left hand side he just he didn't just didn't get on the ball um, yeah it's got a massive potential and a very high ceiling, but there's just something missing from his game and has been for a year and a half. And whether that was down to the injuries that he has had or whatever, I don't know. One of the things I noticed when he came on the scene, there was nobody better at at uh, at chasing uh, chasing an up and under and and putting a defender under pressure uh, and you know off times actually winning the ball. And you watch him now. And he'll run, he'll chase, but he'll stand off the catcher and make the tackle rather mm. than get up uh, and and uh, and go for the ball. And I think that's a confidence thing. Mm. Um, and I, I wouldn't have thought that that's how he's being coached. So yeah. you know, I, I think maybe the whole thing's just a confidence thing for him. And he yeah. just needs he just needs a couple of a uh, couple of things to go his way. Um, you know, and I, I keep thinking back to that. Uh, Try he scored in the in the in the Ireland jersey. I know the defence wasn't really great, but when you see that guy in, in open space and what he can do, um, you know we can all talk about speedsters, but he's got speed and and uh, you know that natural ability to, to to go around people. It's amazing with wingers. You say the word confidence. Of all the positions, I think they are the most susceptible to dips in confidence. You look at what happened to Stockdale last year. It's not just an Ulster thing. 
you look at what happened to James Lowe at the beginning of his Ireland career when he, had to, he just was looked like a deer in headlights at times defensively yeah. on the wing. And now he's now he's helped by the fact that 90% of the time he's playing in a Leinster side that is comfortably winning most of his matches. So he the conf, maybe it's easier to, to win, to get back your confidence in, if you're part of a dominant team. Um, but it, it, it's fascinating, isn't it, with wingers? I guess maybe it's because they don't touch the ball as many as many times as other players. Mm. Um, you just you need to be confident to take advantage of the the five or six times you do touch the ball a game, if if that. Which is why I think someone like a Hansen is special because he just doesn't seem to care. He just got mm. that mindset of I don't care what's going on, and he and he's look and he's not playing for a dominant team, um, and he's dominating regularly. So I think maybe he's a bit of a unicorn in that regard. Yeah, it's interesting, and it comes back to, I mean, there's a question actually sent in about Dan McFarland, and it, it comes down to man management, doesn't it? So it's the ability to make players better. You've got Balakun, you've got Lowry, two of the big names that we've talked about. Hume probably should be playing for Ireland more regularly. Balakun certainly should. Lowry, whenever he burst onto the scene, people envisioned him as playing for Ireland as well. For for those guys, they haven't kicked on in the way that we'd like to see. Um Add into that list, there's the likes of Eric O'Sullivan who, who burst onto the scene as well. You wonder are these players being developed appropriately? Uh, is this is Ulster a greenhouse for young players? Are they developing them and facilitating their um, their growth as players, or are they holding them back? Not <laughs> deliberately, obviously, but just through through sort of the the environment that's created by Dan McFarland. And we don't have time to go into Dan McFarland just right now, but. Um, it's not been a disaster, but there's man management issues there. Um, I would say great coach. Nathan, do you have anything to add there? Well, yeah, but at the same time, this season you look at who has taken strides, and you know, Dave McCann has probably been yeah. the best player in the league this yeah, year. True. Uh Tom Tom Stewart is I know he was the top try scorer last year, but he is also playing really good rugby. He's not just getting on the end of, of, of malls. Maybe it's a forwards and backs thing, maybe it's mm. a you know, Dan was a forward himself. I don't know. It's not just Dan. I mean, I, I think you'd always look at coaching staffs rather than individuals. Um, and I think it's a player leadership as well. Like, who has the likes of Stockdale and Balakun got to look up to who is of the same expertise as them as back three or back five players who can look at give them that confidence you know there's not a lot of experienced heads in in you know for all of Ulster voice had the really good young backs but it's been a while since they've had the the good backs who are playing for Ireland and, and winning games for Ireland the, the Tommy Bowes the Andrew Trimbles it's been a while since those lads have been around so you know it, it, I think it's a combination of things I wouldn't just say Dan McFarland doesn't know how to coach backs properly um, I'd, I'd say there are young players coming through those that are, that are that have definitely gotten better in the last 18-24 months um, McCann and Stewart being the foremost of them um, I don't know. Look at McCluskey. He's he's gone from strength to strength in this in this coaching management. It's it's some guys might respond well to certain things. Some guys might not. Um, and equally, who, who is it? who who's there? Who who can talk to Stockdale and Balakun as an authority figure as a winger and kind of really not so much show them the ropes. They don't need to be showed the ropes. That that's too simplistic. But can fill them with the confidence in their game. I don't know. I don't know if it's mm. as simple as a position thing or not. But yeah, I, I would say there definitely is something in that for all of Ulster's young, promising backs that have been there for five years. How many of them have become Ireland regulars? Stockdale was for a year, two years. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a good point. I think like, in terms of developing players, like it has happened uh, this season. We've seen we've seen great strides from the likes of McCann, from Thomas Stewart last season and and this season as well. Um, so like, we can't completely discount 
the coach's involvement in that. We whether wonder whether these guys are getting good in spite of the, the sort of the man management or coaching or because of it. Um, I, I would say I'm delighted to see the likes of uh, McNabney come through. I thought he had a good game. Um, as you say, there's um, there's a decent number of players coming through the academy uh, to be excited about. But um, yeah, I just hope that talent doesn't get wasted. And um, j- just as we come to a close, one of the, the final questions I want to ask you, Kitsoff, I haven't really talked too much about him, but um, just want to finish on that. So, so a guy, Kane W, not sure uh, what was that on Instagram or Twitter, he says, how much of a difference will Kitsoff make to Ulster? This World Cup win in South Africa. Um, what, do you, what do you guys think? He's obviously going to make a big difference. He's a two-time World Cup winner. Uh, he's uh, highly regarded as one of the top uh, loose heads in the world and has been over the past while. Um, if he's in the right headspace, if he's not come here just for a, for a, for a, a bit of a payday, then uh, I have no doubt that he is going to um, A, improve the uh, set piece, particularly at the scrum, and B, he is going to have a massive influence on our young props. Uh, and, you know, you can imagine, you know, yes, uh, maybe like Tverick Sullivan will, will, will uh, improve from that. But, yeah, uh, you know, packing down against them in, in training sessions, it's going to do Tom O'Toole's uh, future no harm at all. So um, I'm massively uh, uh, excited to see, uh, see him over the next four or five weeks because we've got some big, big games and, uh, you know, we saw a bit on on uh, Saturday night uh, of him. We saw him anchor down a scrum that was in trouble, um, but we didn't see an awful lot of him around the pitch. Uh, and and uh, we'll we'll maybe see more of that over the next couple of games. Yeah, and Nathan, what do you think? Decently, player kicks off. Yeah, not bad, is he? Uh, looking forward to seeing him playing on the island of Ireland. I think the last time he was on these shores. I think uh, we did a piece on it on the website, didn't, didn't it we, is, Peter? Yeah. He was actually, that time for South Africa in the November Internationals, he was actually, he was one of the worst performances I've seen from him. <laughs> he was all over the shop when, when Ireland beat South Africa. So, you know, you, you'd get good money on uh, on him being better than that this weekend. Um, yeah, look, for, first of all, the scrum was just completely solid as soon as he came on. Um, he, he completely nullified that threat from Glasgow. And uh, it was funny, he was... He was getting on the wrong side of Ben Whitehouse when Ulster were defending five metres out. He gave away a penalty for smacking their, uh, their I think it was their replacement, was it, I can't remember his name, Vi Louis, or I think his name was the Tongan, smacked him off the ball. He just assumed he was getting the ball off nine and he absolutely nailed him, gave away a penalty. And then uh, there was a few times at the breakdown, Whitehouse had to, had to shout at him to let go of the ball. But uh, probably just shows that there is that edge to him that mm. you would expect from a South African prop that uh, all teams could do with, not not just us. I think all teams at club level don't have that many players, um, you know, especially in Ireland. Uh, you know, Connacht don't have many. Munster might have one or two in Omani. Leinster, Leinster are ecstatic because they finally got one with McCarthy. So, uh, it's, you know, to sign one like that is, is always a, a good bit of business. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think... Um... I think kicks off will make a, a massive difference to Ulster just in terms of winning mentality. Uh, the we've had it before at Ulster, but it was back to good old days when we brought in a raft of South Africans and made a huge difference to us. Made us one of the best sides in Europe. Now we probably need three or four players of that caliber 
Well, they were cheap, weren't they? So you could bring in three or four of them. Because who was it? It was like, what's his name? Pedri Wannerberg and uh, PNR wasn't really that cap well, highly capped, was he? It's a bit different uh-huh. to bring in. It's a bit different to bring in a, what is it? I don't know what he's on. It's like three quarters of a mil or whatever it is. I yeah. mean, you could bring it. It's a bit like those guys were, were cheap, good bits of business. Well, we were because... bringing, yeah, we were bringing Pinar and Muller in when they were basically at the end of their international careers. Yeah, there you go. I don't know if Kitsoff is near the end of his international no. career, but he's he's thirty one. Uh, he, he could easily go to the next World Cup. It, it, it could be it could be at the World Cup again in four years' time. Very uh, easily, quite quite easily. I know back when we were shrewd at signing players, and I think we're given a load of money by the RFU, albeit maybe not. Uh, I think we were very shrewd to get those guys. And I think a big part of that was David Humphreys. If you speak to him and uh, have, have spoken to him, in fact, for this podcast, and uh, he was a big part of that. But he, by his own admission, he says, look, I was RFU, so look, here's the money. Go get whoever you can, and it's all it's all right now. Humphreys has got the Ireland gig. He's gonna go. He's gonna go pick up Charlie Tector from Lansdowne Rugby Club, and he's gonna just drop him in Ravenhill. And he's gonna go. I don't know. He's gonna old monster of loads of second rows. Now he's gonna go and pick up one of them and, and drop. I don't know. He's hum, Humphreys. Whatever, whatever about Carberry, you got new Sephora forcing Carberry to go to Munster. Humphreys is gonna is gonna make loads of lads drive up the M, drive up the M one. I don't know. It might be a bit like, do you know, uh, I had this actually situation when I was a kid. Your dad's the 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 mini rugby coach and he, he deliberately sort of doesn't show you any favour. <laughs> Just to show he's not biased. I think Humphreys might do that to Ulster. So, look, I'm not biased for Ulster. So, Humphreys, um, Humphreys rinses Ulster. All the good, all the good players <laughs> go sign for Connacht. I'd be a disaster. Look, Humphreys, look, if you're listening, uh, send Charlie Tector up the road, send even better, Sam Prender cast up the road, um, or any any Lancer cast cast offs for that matter. Not precious about it. Um, so look, I think that's uh, the last thing I want to do. We've gone way over here, lads. But in a sentence or two, what are your predictions for the Edinburgh game? Do you think we'll beat Edinburgh? Or I say we, Nathan. You're an honorary Ulster fan. Do you think Ulster will beat Edinburgh? Yeah, Ed- Edinburgh have been beyond poor this season. They sent a team laden with Scotland internationals to the RDS a few weeks ago. I was there. Leinster didn't have any of their internationals back and made very light work of them. And that was a, a Leinster side that had been rinsed by Glasgow um, a few weeks before up in Scotstown as well. Uh, Edinburgh have been very, very poor for all the strides they took when Richard Cockrell did great things with them in the last few years. Just all of a sudden, that seems to have gone gone out the window. They've had a very, very poor start to the season. Ulster in, at home in Ravenhill, they'll, they'll, they'll do it with a bonus point. Love it, Nathan. Ian, what do you think? 100% agree. Um, uh, with everything, I, I just think that yeah, if I was a an Edinburgh supporter, I would be so so frustrated uh, with the the uh, the team that they can put out on the pitch. Uh, um, you know, it's hard to imagine anyone other than maybe uh, Leinster having a having a, a you know a more international style team than than, than Edinburgh, and they have been poor. Uh, they should have wiped. Uh, Benetton out on on Saturday, and uh, you know I, I, I still see that uh, that Kinghorn passed to nobody that cost them the game, and that's the problem with them. They have two or three players who can excite you, um, Van der Merwen on the wing, um, uh, the, the 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 number eight that they have at the minute. You know those those are those are good players, but as a team they're they're very poor, and I would expect and hope. 
Uh, no, I would expect Ulster to, to, to get a, a, a five-pointer. Very quickly, I feel terrible for, for poor old Ben Healy, who's gone over there because he's actually been okay. He had a match-winning drop goal against Connacht a few weeks ago, one of their few wins. Um, and he, that game against Leinster, he looked okay, um, distribution-wise. Um, but he's, he's just gone over to an outfit that has been... like he's, he's getting nothing. He's getting nothing from those around. You mentioned Doohan. There was a moment in that Leinster game where Van der Merwe could have thrown... Pulled time, pulled out an ankle tap on Tommy O'Brien to stop a try, and he just kind of let up and said, "Nah." Like I, I, mm-hmm. he, some some of those Scotland players, just it looks like they're just not motivated to be playing at that level, you know, which is probably quite an inflammatory thing to say. But you got it. There has to be a bit of pride there when, like you said, they're 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 a big supplier to the to an international side, but they're they're not they're not competing with the other teams that have lots of internationals. Yeah, well, yeah. that's hope that's hope continue to do what they have been doing this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed exactly so look um thank you for listening and if anyone's on spotify you'll have got your spotify wrap for the year as as of we with the red hand and we're listening to in over 22 countries which is pretty cool um there's uh listeners in singapore which i was most impressed with uh and there's listeners all over the world and we're getting you know there's there's a thousand or so uh, regularly listening which is class so look do me a favor leave a review uh subscribe to the podcast on spotify um tell your friends tell your enemies tell whoever will listen to you uh about the red hand podcast and thank uh thank you to nathan thank you to ian thank you to craig as well uh guys thank you so much for um for being part of the panel tonight and thank you for listening everyone and uh, yeah, we'll we'll speak to you again after the Edinburgh game this weekend. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. A lot of people who play or used to play rugby listen to this podcast. If you're struggling with an injury, lack of mobility, or some form of pain that you've just got used to living with, then you need to get it sorted. Back to Better Physiotherapy is a physio practice I highly recommend. The practice owner, John Quigg, is extremely experienced. He's worked with professional sports teams such as Ulster Rugby and Middlesbrough Football. Back to Better provide physiotherapy, massage treatment, personal training and rehab. They also have an ice bath and sauna in-house, which are fantastic for recovery and health. They're located at the Building Box Gym in East Belfast. Book using Instagram at Back to Better Physiotherapy or type their number in your phone now. 075 685 That's 075 685 Get in touch with them get your aches and pains sorted.